brain maps are so powerful because they can show us patterns for different diagnoses that are out there, right? So our, our society is so quick to say, oh, I have ADHD, oh, I have anxiety, oh, I have this and that. But why are we not actually measuring the very organ that creates all of these diagnoses for us? It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors. Infuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Amplify Podcast with Renee Rodriguez. Welcome back to the Amplify Podcast. And today I have a special guest that not only I think is brilliant in what she is doing, but also has become a dear friend of ours, Rachel Lambert, who's a CEO of Brain Code Centers, the largest, uh, I think the largest company that does brain mapping in the country. So we're going to get a little nerdy. We're going to talk about the brain and what brain mapping is, neurofeedback, a little bit about her story, how she got to this too. She's also going to be one of the speakers at AmpCon, which I'm super excited about. And so with that, welcome, Rachel. How are you? Great, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that for me, when I first heard about brain mapping and all of that stuff, I, my natural, and you and I know this because we had this, this was our first conversation, was the typical skeptical skepticism that I have around things that, that don't, that, that can't be explained through science only because it's just my network will hold me to that sort of process. And then when you came out to amplify and, and put those brain maps on my head and I started watching the immediate feedback on, you know, moving your eyes and you could see that in the brain scans or in the brain, brain mapping. And when you mapped out my brain and Maddie's brain, mine looked like it was a, like a, like a, with the floor of like the Wall Street Journal stock market, stock exchange, and Maddie's look like, you know, a beautiful mind, all perfect and square. And which is so weird because it's the opposite of how we come across on the external world, but is exactly how my brain is, you know, I've just learned to live with it. So tell me a little bit about you and how you got introduced to this, because you had sort of an interesting journey of you personally being pulled into this world of how the brain works. Yes. First off, I adore the skeptics out there. It actually makes my job a little bit more fun. And I love educating and empowering people. And so I'm glad that you, I think you still are making sure that you're getting all your questions answered and, you know, getting all the facts right. So I, I appreciate that. I want people to really feel like they understand the brain, they understand the science, they understand the process. So I, I do love that about you. So keep bringing on the hard questions. So yeah, my story, I, I got into it from a personal experience. I, as you know, as we've spent more time together, I had a little bit of a wild side as I was growing up. I was always the the reckless, the one that was getting in trouble, the one that made my parents say, why in the heck did we have a kid? This is ridiculous. And so it really just began to spiral pretty out of control. And I ended up getting in quite a bit of trouble over and over and over again. And so finally, my, my mom sat me down and she asked me this question that I really will always remember. And it was as simple as Rachel, do you think before you act? <laughs> do you, do you think before you act truly? And it was that question that prompted me to think maybe, maybe I'm not, I'm just kind of doing, I, I, I just kind of go with the flow and make impulsive decisions and pay for it later. And so 
that sparked the conversation around, hey, this has just gone beyond normal teenage rebellion. She seems very out of control of her behavior. And so I ended up finding out about brain mapping and neurofeedback. My mom forced me to go there. We did a brain map on my brain and it's pretty simple. You put a cap on your head, fill it up with a little bit of gel and then take a recording similar to an EKG of a heartbeat. And so it's completely non-invasive. But what the pattern essentially showed that it was my frontal cortex was completely out of control. And as we know, and as you know, the prefrontal cortex helps you make decisions. It helps you think. And especially as you're younger, sometimes if that bad boy is going hundred miles an hour, you are not going to be thinking before you're acting. So yeah. that was very enlightening information for me to understand. How old were you when that happened? Gosh, I was 17 at that, at that age. So a very pivotal, pivotal time in life. What's interesting too, and you, you nailed it there, which is, you know, for those listening, the, that prefrontal lobe is that, that part of the brain that's, that doesn't fully develop to age 25. So at 17 and a female or even a boy, I think women's develop a little bit earlier than, than, than men's do, but it's that future simulator. So if I do this, then this will be the consequence. And so, I mean, you're, you're saying, well, yeah, I'll deal with the consequences later, which really meant that you don't you have no idea as kids we have no idea what that consequence is and nor can they even fathom what it is. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And brain maps are so powerful because they can show us patterns for different diagnoses that are out there. Right. So our, our society is so quick to say, oh, I have ADHD. Oh, I have anxiety. Oh, I have this and that. But why are we not actually measuring the very organ that creates all of these diagnoses for us? And so my diet, my pattern really represented that of a bipolar disorder. And that was very new news to my parents. They would have never really guessed that that wasn't something that they were thinking about. But as you start to dive more into what bipolar looks like, I was crossing all of all of the DSM diagnoses to be bipolar. So I love spreading the word about brain mapping. You and Maddie also had the experience of getting your brains mapped. And even without knowing a lot about you, your brain is like a testimony and a archive of your history and how you're wired and, and the strengths that you exhibit, but also the blind spots that you have. And so it's an absolute joy to be able to empower people with that data about their brain. So let's go into the, but what is brain mapping? And, and cause w this is not brain like photos or brain imaging, like what Dr. Amen does, but this would be brain mapping where you're literally looking at the different brain waves and their patterns and, and, and their co connectivity. So let's go through and, and just think of what is brain mapping? Yes. Yeah, so many people are per pretty familiar <laughs> with an MRI or a CAT scan or something like that, right? Where you're mo mostly looking at the the function of the brain and how well kind of the different structures are, right? So you can go to a neurologist after a TBI, the MRI might come back totally clean, but somebody's having all these symptoms. So the question is why? Dr. Amen specializes in SPECT imaging where he's looking at blood flow. So we know that blood flow creates patterns of symptomology for people. QEEG and SPECT imaging are actually pretty consistent in some of their findings. So Brain mapping or a QEEG, which means a quantitative electroencephalogram, measures brainwave activity. Brainwave activity and blood flow actually go hand in hand with one another. But what I love about the brainwaves is they show us so many different patterns, but also characteristics that people exude. So I know one of the things that I know you love is attachment styles and looking at kind of family systems and how our family impacts how we attach as we 
get older and we could have a whole other conversation about that. But there's literal brain patterns that we can see if someone tends to be more avoidant, uh, tends to be more anxious in their attachment style. So it goes much farther beyond just, oh, that person's anxious. Oh, they're, they're depressed. So QEEG really is measuring the electricity of the brain, very much like our heartbeats. Our brain produces electricity that can be read with little sensors. What we do is we quantify that information through a database, and then we're able to tell where there's areas of overproduction of wave activity or underproduction of wave activity and exactly how that's showing up symptomatically for people. And so when you're looking at the, the brain waves, and, and people know this, that you make a decision in your brain that sends an electrical chemical signal through your brain. And so that electricity, you know, in some research says that we have upwards of 40 volts of electricity going through our brain. So it's measuring those decisions and those connections and those communications. And the way that those are, there's, there's different brain waves as well with alpha, alpha, beta, theta, and some other ones. So let's go through and understand those different brain waves. Yeah. So the way I like to describe it is the physiological way in which we feel as human beings when we show up doing different tasks, right? So everything from you're asleep to you're having your cup of coffee in the morning, getting going to you're running a hundred miles an hour, feeling overwhelmed and having adrenaline rush. Think about the speeds that your car goes on the highway or on the side streets, right? There's an appropriate speed for every single situation when you're driving. There's also an appropriate physiological place for us to be in and show up in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I always give the example, if you sign up for a yoga class, it's probably not super appropriate to go in there, guns ablazing, like Orange Theory, let's go, right? Everybody's going to be like, no, this is a calm environment. So you really need to be showing up the way that you need to be showing up to be your best self. So you have Delta. Delta in its uh, most purest form really revolves around a sleeping um, it's a very slow, calm, peaceful wave. It doesn't spike, but, you know, a couple microvolts per second. Then moving up into theta, think like 20 to 30 miles an hour in a car. This is a very calm, relaxing, shifting into sleep, shifting up into go mode once you wake up in the morning. It exudes creativity. It exudes rest, peacefulness, drowsiness. It's a very internally focused state. Renee, I think you have like ample amounts of theta, if I recall correctly, right? You are a visionary at your purest form. It's something that you're so beautiful at. And you've done a really great job at putting people in your circle to help delegate and execute your vision and wonderful Maddie to keep your life straight so that when you're sitting in a theta state, she can be like, let's go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So she, so just, so top on that, this is really good. So like theta is 20, 30 miles an hour. You know, so it's shifting. You're moving out of delta, sleeping, rest. You're waking up. And my brain looked like it was chaos, but yet it was theta. Where mine looked chaotic, but yet it's theta. How is that? Tell me about That's that. That's a really good clar clarifying question here. So think about the way that I'll explain it is if you're going 20 to 30 miles an hour down the highway, right? Cars are going to be zooming around you, honking. You're stressed out because you can't get where you need to go. Theta doesn't feel super good for us to have free floating all day long, which I know you've talked about too. Like you, you love caffeine. You kind of like gravitate towards different things that get your brain going and get you focused. And you feel best when you're performing, right? When you're leading a class or doing what you do best, because that allows your brain to shift up into a different gear. 
But for the most part, when you're stuck in theta, it can feel very distracting. It can feel very like ADHD. It's hard to, to stay on track with things. And so it can look chaotic because you're not supposed to stay in theta during the day. That is an appropriate place to be usually in, in the morning or at night or if you're doing something creative. So, so, so when my ADD kicks in, it might be just an overabundance of being in theta and any sort of stimulant would get me into moving out of that. You got it. Okay. Interesting. And cause, cause I'm wondering too, it's, I'm also very calm in chaos, which it's, is that have anything to do with that? 100%. So we have mapped thousands of brain maps of first responders and a very common pattern is an overproduction of theta. So they have more than the average production of theta. Well, guess what first responders do really well? They show up in chaos with a sense of calm. You are very, very calm and, and you're, you don't, you're not very easily agitated, which is a gift of yours. So this is why I always tell people it's not necessarily a bad thing to have an abundance or limitation of a brainwave, but we have to have it be flexible so that when you want to shift out of it, you're shift able through it. To, and that's the beauty of neuroplasticity. I love that. And I think that's a really interesting message for those listening too. it's, you know, we're talking about like somebody with depression and that's the underproduction or the under communication of serotonin, which serotonin is what allows us to shift from one idea to the next or one feeling of you watch somebody who's depressed, they can't get out of that gear and they're stuck in that. And so I think this idea of being flexible and nimble to move different through different states and through different ways of being applies to everything. And here we're talking about shifting brainwave patterns where in my mind I'm going, okay, so if I'm feeling this sort of slow movement in my brain where it's actually running hundred miles an hour internally, but I'm not able to focus on what's going on. So then there, there could be things that shift my brain patterns out of that. If you're struggling with procrastination, the same thing. It might be just a brain pattern that you need to shift, which is where you get into, and I'll, I'm going to write this down for afterwards. We get into brain training which is what you do to actually train the, the, the brain waves to be able to move and to create what you, she just said, neuroplasticity, which is the beautiful part of the brain to take up the functions of other parts of brains or and, and learn new behaviors when the neurons actually go through and build new connections. Okay, so delta theta, keep going. So alpha is a perfect segue into what we're talking about. And alpha really is like the gear shifter for our brain. So in a manual car, what do you want to be doing? Upshifting, downshifting constantly. You were talking about depression, right? It's really interesting because depression from a brain mapping standpoint actually looks like an abundance of alpha on the left frontal hemisphere of the brain. So what that feels like in a day-to-day -day life is a stuck gear shifter. Oh, I'm just so depressed. I can't get outside of myself to focus or oh, I'm just so stuck in the slow. It's so difficult for me to like have some energy, right? Their brain is really stuck. There's obviously neurotransmitters that impact that too. They go hand in hand, electricity, but also chemicals and neurotransmitters and, and whatnot. But you're totally right. Like the brain has to be able to move in and out of those states. And alpha is a huge uh, contributor to how well the brain is doing that. In its purity, think neutral, right? What are we doing in neutral? Kind of resting, resetting, ready to shift, ready to go. So that's really the, the basis of alpha. So how can you trigger alpha when you're in theta? Well, there's different ways um, that you can kind of get your brain out of a theta state. You and I love breath work, right? There's different types of breathing strategies. I appreciate faster breathing strategies if you're trying to get your brain stuck out of a slow state. 
Box breathing is another good one to really help, you know, start getting your brain shifted from an internally more to an externally focused state. Tapping, uh, we talk about tapping. This is a really good way to kind of get our system going. So you can tap on your temples, you can do um, tapping on the sides of your arms or whatnot. And this actually really helps disrupt the communication in the brain if you're stuck in a certain state. It kind of goes hand in hand with EMDR. So if people have heard of eye movement, rapid desensitization, it helps get the brain moving from the left to the right hemisphere. So there's, those are some good ways to push yourself up into an alpha state. You know, it's funny tapping. My mother's had me tapping since I was in grade school <laughs> and I always thought she was insane. And she's like, you know, tap, tap here. And what's crazy is, you know, you start, I'm starting to see it sort of come up now more recently. And I look at it now that I kind of, you know, I mean, there's, there's kooks in, in every sort of every corner you turn in and all this sort of stuff. But I have used that to help somebody disrupt the pattern of their stress response on stage where we have somebody that like they'll get on stage. The moment they start talking, they start to cry. And I remember one person, the moment he would just go, no, this story, I would just start tapping on his chest. Right. And he'd be looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, just keep going. And all of a sudden he would go through and he'd start going, falling into that rut and I'd start tapping on him again and start, you know, and then distract him. And all of a sudden we just started getting him out of that by just creating that true pattern intro. We're talking about patterns as those neural pathways. They have certain patterns that they like to fire together, right? Neurons are wired together, fire together, that whole process, they fire together. And by introducing a new stimulus, you can rewire that moment and just start creating that. So that's interesting. If you don't anything about it, just look it up. Tapping is pretty fascinating. And so what about, and you, you talk about fast breathing and slow breathing. So the internal versus an external, and we understand box breathing, diaphragmatic breathing with all sorts of really cool breathing techniques. When you talk about fast breathing techniques, talk to me about those. Which ones do you like? Some of our clients, if they're really stuck in the state of state, we'll have them do a quicker inhale, hold just for a second, and then yep. a quick exhale. You know, doing that 10 or so times can just really help get the system moving, get your heart going a little bit quicker. So anything, if you're thinking a slow state, which is sometimes confusing, right? Mm. Because sometimes people, their brain's going 100 miles an hour, but it's interesting because they're stuck in procrastination or fogginess, one of the things you're going to have to first do is identify what state am I really in, right? Before you would choose some sort of breath work strategy. But for you, for example, somebody that has more theta working to try to get into alpha beta, um, faster states of breathing or tapping, you could even speed up the tapping, right? Tap a little bit quicker if you want just to kind of get your system moving in the right direction. So that's interesting. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm overly stressed, I want something to slow me down, a breathing that slows me down. If I'm understimulated, which would really be an ADD response. I don't have the right stimulation, which is so ironic that you, you need to stimulate somebody who's ADD, which you're actually stimulating is a norepinephrine system, which helps you get your attention back. But if I'm in a higher theta, which means I have sort of functioning slower, maybe the, faster breathing, which is almost the formula for hyperventilation, a little bit of that will get your heart moving a little bit faster. I think that's fascinating. So many people go around thinking that they're ADHD. It's crazy. It's one of the most misdiagnosed, in my opinion, disorders that there is, right? And then I look yeah. at the brain map and I'm like, okay, I, I can see exactly where you're mimicking this disorder. Um, classically, but it's for a completely different reason why. And when you talk to people and say, okay, why do we give an ADHD person a stimulant? 
they start to understand that, right? They're like, yeah, that is interesting that my kid who's seven years old, who's hyper and can't pay attention in, in class, I'm giving him Ritalin, which is a stimulant. Because exactly what you just said, we're actually trying to speed up their brain so we can get them outside of this internally drowsy place and focused. Yeah, I love that. One thing it would seem to do really well would be cold plunges and some sort of external uh, shock to the system, even saunas and cold plunges. Because, you know, I know that, you know, a cold plunge is great for procrastination. It's your because the the shock or the difficulty and the extreme effort triggers dopamine in the sense of because it, it's you're understimulated. There's underproduction of dopamine in that process, so you don't have the motivation to, to get something done. But then you do something difficult, and that calls upon dopamine to help you through the difficulty, which then you can then leverage to get the task done, which I thought was fascinating. Do you think is cold plunging and things like that does that change your your your, your state? I, I love cold plunging. Actually, my husband and I try to do it on the regular and he's like addicted to it. I, it is a very difficult task for me because uh, I do not like being cold, but yeah, cold plunging is so good. There's so many studies that are starting to come out with the effects of depression and anxiety with uh, cold exposure and cold therapy. I re I, my personal testimony is I think it's the, it's the solution for almost everything. And, right. and I don't say that lightly because it's you, if I am, if I'm, my eight, let's say my ADD is, is high. That means that I'm easily distracted. That means that I'm having a hard time fulfilling or fi finishing a task, which is why I have a really good team around me, allows me to sort of be me. But let's say I even have a cold, a shoulder injury from working out and lifting weights, or um, I'm just foggy. One to two minutes in that cold water shifts everything. I mean, everything. And it's for hours. And there's no come down from it. And I mean, all the research shows right now, to your point, was that the dopamine levels go up, even that same if you were to take cocaine, and but there's no drop off or fall, you get to just maintain that. Plus the cold shock proteins and all sorts of other cool things. You know, I think it's a, po a, a hypoxia or what's it called, where he starts eating away the, mm -hmm. that's why I have to get Aaron Williamson out here to talk about this. But I, I just from I just want to stay focused on, there are things that we can do when you understand our brain waves and what they do to help change the state and maybe that might be a better solution to turn to first before turning to drugs or to some sort of narcotic medication and so i think that's i'm a big fan of looking for what are the things that i can actually control right now internally to shift that because any external narcotic or drug has that same receptor already internally we have the ability to trigger all of those things internally first otherwise it wouldn't work from an external source because an external drug is just mimicking a, 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 a receptor uh, of, of the same of some sort of neurotransmitter. It's just mimicking it, and we're just controlling it in some way. So, all right. So we've got beta. Let's talk about beta. Yes, I love beta. So there's three different speeds of beta: low beta, regular beta, high beta. The way that I think about them is again miles per hour. So think low beta is about 60 miles an hour. Regular beta or mid beta is about 80 miles an hour. And then high beta is going to be our 100 mile an hour plus brainwave. So the state that we really want to try to be in, depending on what we do for a living and stuff like that, we want to try to be shifted into a nice low beta and regular beta state for the majority of the day, which is very difficult for many people to do, which is why we have that cup of coffee in the afternoon or your iced tea or you get tired after lunch, right? Your brain really should be sustained all the way throughout the day, but so many people aren't able to do that very well. 
those two beta states, right? What are we doing when we're going 60 to 80 miles an hour on the highway? We are accomplishing. We are getting things done. We're motivated. We're feeling awesome. Humans really try to shift themselves into beta in so many different ways all the time. You were talking about cocaine. We take all of these different supplements. We take pre-workout. I mean, we, we're constantly trying to shift ourselves into that productivity state because it's, it's difficult for some people to get there and some people don't have enough beta production as is. The only difference between the two would be one's going to exert your energy a little bit quicker than the other. You can go 60 miles an hour all day long and you can get stuff done. If you're going 80 miles an hour, you're going to have to fill up your gas tank a little bit more regularly. So Renee, when you're presenting or even this podcast, right? Like we're, we're, not, we're in more like 80% right now versus you all that are listening. You're maybe going 60 miles an hour. You're taking notes, you're digesting, you're absorbing information. Okay. So those are both feel good states. This is the one brainwave that I tell the majority of my clients. You can have ample amounts of beta. Um, we're not looking for normal here. We're looking for optimizing your human potential. And for a lot of people, having excess beta or more than the average feels awesome. High beta, not so fun. This is probably one of the most physiologically uncomfortable places for us to exist as human beings. High beta is going to be all things, defense mechanisms, anxiety, hypervigilance, OCD, irritability, distractibility rage, overthinking. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. We have to have high beta because if a uh, bad guy's chasing you or something like that, you better run quick. Like you have to be able to respond, but you really have to be able to come out of that state very quickly. So obviously you have to have a good gear shifter working for you with alpha to downshift you out of that. As you can imagine, Brain code centers continues to be very busy because so many people have an overproduction of high beta. They don't feel good. They feel so out of control. They're struggling with anxiety. They're on medication. Maybe the medication's not even working. So high beta is definitely, it is a problem and a lot of people struggle with too much of it. So, so it's, it would, that would seem that that would be the, the output of PTSD as well. Somebody that is in constantly high beta in almost that fight flight response all the time. PTSD is actually a little bit more complicated. I could get on a bunny trail with that, but there's different forms of trauma responses. You are right. That's one of them where you're just constantly hypervigilant. Sometimes though, and we work with tons of first responders, like I was saying, you can get more into that just straight freeze, right? Dissociation, which is actually going to be more yeah. like ample amounts of theta. So different people yeah. interestingly respond to to traumatic events um, in different ways. But yes, you're talking about classic, the hypervigilant post-traumatic pattern for sure. So if you're if you're if your PTSD is exhibited in a hyper-defensive, always fight or flight response, that would be probably in high beta. But if you're in a disassociative, uh, non-emotional, sort of cut it off would be more in the theta. Is that correct? You're a good student, Renee. You yeah. got it. This is really fascinating. I love this. Well, I think that, you know, because I'm, I'm listening to this from the perspective of I want people to have different looks and views of how in the fascinating world of neuroscience and how the brain works where, you know, I got a buddy that I went to college with who wrote the book, You Are Your Child's Best Psychologist. And the whole premise of the book is to to educate yourself on what's going on and, you know, to, 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 with caution, right. You know, to, with caution, but so they can be part of the process with, you know, other professionals and knowing that here's a structure to work within. You have these four brain waves, 
and some subsets of those brainwaves. And those brainwaves and some sort of algorithm can, can help you identify what's going on, what has happened, and then also we can manipulate them through different techniques and brain training, which I, I even hesitate saying that because it sounds so cliche or it sounds so simplified, but it is training your brain, which really means going through a process where you are literally manipulating the, the production of these different brainwaves based on a diagnosis that you're trying to solve for. Is that correct? Yeah. I love that. And so what, tell me, let's go into any, any cool stories of people that have come to you. Maybe let's start with kids, maybe kids and, and parents have come to you. I didn't know what, we, we didn't know where to go with this, but we tried this and maybe that ADD, depression, anxiety, something like that. And they came and, and what were they, what were you able to do and what were the results? Yes. So I started the company, gosh, 10 years ago. And I used to do everything. I was the office manager. I was the clinician. I did the brain maps. I did the brain map reviews. Um, and so I have been pretty far removed from clinical for the past four years, meaning my team sees all of the clients. And so I actually sometimes crave, I'm like, guys, tell me, you know, testimonies because I, I thrive when I hear them. So I'll give you some from back whenever I first started it, but there was definitely, we work with a lot of kids. So a, a lot of people come to us and are like, how old do I have to be? Honestly, people start bringing their kids to us when they're six or seven, as long as they can sit still for about 20 minutes in a chair, kind of relaxed. We have clients as old as 90 years old. So your brain is always neuroplastic. It's always willing to change. But as far as kids go, I'd say the probably the defiant kids are the ones that really just stroke my heartbeat because that was you know what my story was, just that defiant, rebellious kid. We had a story about this this father who every single morning he was the one that took his daughter to school and he was so funny. He said, every single morning she comes down, she throws a tantrum. It starts my day off. And then I have to go, you know, calm myself down to get to work. And it's just a battle every morning. He's like, I, I dread it every single morning when I go get her woken up. I'm like, Oh goodness gracious. So we got a message from him about two sessions later. Now that's a pretty quick reaction for somebody to have when they're training um, but it's very possible, right? When the brain starts to become calm, really awesome behavior changes can be reflected. So we get a message from him after two sessions and he goes, what are you guys doing in that office? I have to understand more. My daughter walked downstairs. She had all, already had her clothes on. She was dressed ready for school. She ate her breakfast, went upstairs, brushed her teeth, came back downstairs. We went to school, had a great conversation, and I dropped her off. He's like, I, I didn't even understand what was going on. He's like, I was like in shock, right? And so her brain was so overactive that it was making her feel completely out of control when she woke up right away, right? And so as we started to calm that electricity on it, down in her brain, it's much easier for somebody to wake up and feel centered and balanced and calm when the brain's not taking over. So that was a, that was a really fun that. story to hear that was pretty remarkable out the gate. So I, lo I love what I love about that is so, so often we, we dismiss things as personality or just, that's just how people are. Well, we are based on how our brains are functioning. And if there's a way to manipulate, and we do this, by the way, we manipulate our brains all the time. We do it with external stimulants, like, you know, any sort of drug. Drinking is one of them. Uh, coffee is another one. Smoking is another one. Breathing is one. We're manipulating our brain by going to cold plunges and heat plunges. Meditation, mindfulness. These are all manipulations of the brain. And they sh and that's an okay. The word manipulation carries a stigma, a negative one. This is This is a very good one. And so now you're saying that, especially a child that is so moldable, and their brains are so 
plastic at this moment, meaning that you can really truly mold them. And they're so absorbent of the environment they're in. Any amount of training like that is in teaching them to deal with stress and anxiety. You think almost their personality change, but no, their brains have are functioning differently. And it's, um, I can just imagine how much of a relief it is to parents to see something like that. Absolutely. How about to busy executives? So let's talk about, let's talk about salespeople, executives, people that, you know, are high functioning and, you know, maybe trying to deal with getting more done. Yes. One of my favorite lines that so many executives, CEOs, professional athletes say is when I'm going over their, their review, they'll say, okay, well, you know, maybe don't, maybe don't train all my high beta down because that's really what's allowing me to get as much done as I'm getting done. And as I'm looking at them, you know, you can just even smell and see the the hypervigilant, the stress, they, the energy that they're giving off. And I think what's tough is about with these people that have created this level of success in whatever field that they're in, there is a way to be able to do that with a sustained energy instead of an over aroused energy. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of times we can get almost addicted to that adrenaline, addicted to that stress. But if you were to take that brain power that you have and channel it and refine it, Oh my gosh, people can become even better than they already are more successful than they already are. So I always tell people, we're not going to take away any of your strengths. Like God forbid, if anything, we're going to refine them and make them that much better at whatever it is that they're doing more focused, better dialed in on their vision, better execution, better being able to shift out of that state and then go be present with your family. So it's all about optimization. It is not about taking away people's strengths. There was a gentleman and not that it's all about money, but he was very well off and had accomplished everything that he ever could accomplish, but he had been pretty much struggling with his family and, and being connected to them. And so he found us for that. And it was after, you know, a handful of months and a handful of neurofeedback brain training sessions that he, he felt like he found his family again and his family was connected to him again. And as a result, it was really interesting. He's like, I've also, Rachel, made more money than I ever have ever. He's like, and I think it's because I'm showing up different. I'm showing up different for my team. Yeah. So right when he thought he hit the pinnacle financially, right, there there was more there. And that was due to him becoming the best version of himself. And I think that's at the core. That's what we all want. It's it's like what you know. It's it's brain training is what you do, but the result is helping you maximize your human performance. Whether it's kids being performing at their max, or an executive, or a parent, or you name it. I mean, you know, you work with a lot of celebrities that I know in in professional athletes, and they're looking for that edge, that that competitive edge. I, I just saw that quarterback for the Vikings does neuro neurofeedback, and as part of his, you know, um, Kirk Cousins. Those that are in the elite level are constantly looking for that little edge. But I think the search, the one thing we all have in common, is that we all want to perform at our best. And I get more and more intrigued every time we talk, and I get more and more excited about it. I know we're running towards the end here, but tell us. In, in how can everybody get a hold of you and what's the best way to get a hold of you and if they want to learn more? Yeah, well, first off, come to AmCon here in a couple weeks, October 26, because you're going to learn more from me, more from Renee, and more from all the awesome individuals that I honestly can't wait to meet there. So that's a good way. Braincodecenters.com is the website, has all sorts of information on there. Our Instagram, we try to be pretty active on that and make it very easily to digest. And then we, we always do free consultation. So I love educating people. I think what I do is so niche that most people when they're struggling or suffering, they think I'll go maybe hire a therapist or maybe get on medication, but there's other ways that you can address 
mental health issues or help reach your goals. So always inquire for a free consultation and can learn more. Love it. Well, make sure you follow, look her up and uh, keep, keep up with it. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to having you at AmpCon and introducing you to our, our amazing community and to dive deep. And I'm going to try to see if I can convince her to bring a few brain uh, code scanners with, with us to see if we can't do some brain, brain mapping there on site. And so we'll see how, what the logistics are of that, but that, that could be kind of fun. Rachel, thank you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you there. Renee, it was a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoy this, like, comment, subscribe, share, do all of the cool stuff. Make sure you follow us. And AmpCon 2023 is coming up October 26th. If you have any questions, please reach out and we will see you all there. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com.